All right. Our, uh, our joy continues throughout this weekend as we're able to hear from our brother Richard Harp and how much he means to this congregation and uh, to so many different individuals here today. Uh, we're glad that you've decided to come and be with us for this Harvest Weekend to join us in worship this morning. Uh, Richard uh, has so many different ties to so many different people in this congregation, and I know it's been a joy for him. It's been a joy for us. Uh, we've talked about him a lot in his introductions throughout the weekend. Uh, he's married to his wife, Mary. He's got two children, uh, Gabriel and James. Uh, he received his uh, Bachelor of Arts in Bible from Fried Harmon University, his Master's of Arts in New Testament, also from Fried Harmon University. Uh, he's been all over the world doing different works. Uh, he's been in the Deerfoot congregation in Birmingham area for uh, over five years now. He's doing a great work there. And we've talked a lot, obviously, about his connection to uh, Scott, who was with us for many years, uh, but not, not, not as much about his mom. I, I know there's a lot of people here that love Jenny Harp and miss her purrs and her hugs and whatever she used to call it. You remember. Um, and and what, what I love about Jenny is, is we're talking about hope this weekend. Um, and when I think about Jenny, when I think about Richard, these are people who live the message of hope. I, I, I remember in the midst of the pandemic um, when there really wasn't that much hope out there, I would get onto social media and I would hear one of his be kind messages. I don't know if you follow Richard on Facebook, but he did a series every single day for a year with some kind of punny, because he gets it from Jenny, some kind of, of punny message about being kind, and it instilled hope in all of us who were able to see that. We've had a great weekend of hope uh, thus far, and it's only going to continue in this, in this lesson this morning. Uh, he's, he's talked about the hope that we have in the walk with God, the hope that is laid up for us in heaven. He's talked about how grace brings that hope. And today his, his topic for uh, the worship is how we have a hope that is beyond expectation. And the way we're going to introduce this thought and frame our minds is the scripture reading from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Ben, thank you for that introduction and, and uh, I want to make sure I clarify those, those daily messages um, we, uh, one of our elders had asked me to do something, you know, every day, and, and uh, I said, well, we'll do 30 days of kindness, because I said, you know, COVID's going to only last 30 days, and so it's my fault. It's my fault. But just to clarify, they did have puns, and they also had a Bible scripture every time, so it was combining dad and mom in one. And so, uh, but uh, I, I would be amiss if I didn't say mom and dad send their love to every one of you, and I've been intending to say that, but uh, the initial... Uh, coming it has just uh, I, I got distracted from just the reunion and and I just want you to know they send their love and and uh, again so thankful to be able to be here and to discuss just this powerful concept of hope 
We have been focusing on hope in a walk and, and, and hope that is laid up for us in heaven. And I mentioned last night a story to illustrate that. And I mentioned that it would be a, a, a story that would help us understand the concept of hope for last night, for our class this morning, and for this lesson. So you're going to hear the rest of the story for that concept of hope that uh, it, it's beyond expectation hope that's laid up in heaven uh, and we, we mentioned this this idea of, uh, of of hope being laid up in heaven uh, from a bicycle that I purchased on layaway hope is laid up in heaven therefore hope is in la on layaway and this bicycle was on layaway and so I, I saved my money to be able to buy it. and I mentioned at the class that I came up short just like we all come up short for the glory of God for our hope on layaway but I came up short for the bicycle, and my dad, he ended up showing me the concept of grace, and he paid the difference. And I wheeled that bicycle out that, those doors and into the car, and I remember the first thing I did when we got it home was I rode that 10-speed red bicycle. And I remember, it, you remember those bikes, that it, it had the curved handlebars, and it had, those, it had five speeds on the left and five speeds on the right, and I remember it was just this little, these little levers here. And I remember slowly winding through those 10 glorious gears as I rode around the neighborhood. And I was just so excited because I finally was riding this wonderful bike. And, you know, I thought heaven. <laughs> and that's why I've kind of used it as the example of our hope laid up in heaven. Well, that was a Saturday, and on Sunday morning, see, we lived in Haleville, and my dad preached for the South Haleville Church of Christ, and we lived in the preacher's house next to the building, and so that bike was stored underneath the, uh, in the shed underneath the fellowship hall next to the building, and so I was talking to my friends and, and uh, in the youth group there, and I said, guys, I got the bike. They'd been here, and all they'd heard was I was going to get this bike. I said, I finally got it. And they're like, y'all can come and see it after services. And so we go down there and show them the bike. And I hear some of the worst words that I'd ever heard in my life at the time. I was eight years old. Just remember, I'm eight years old. A boy, eight years old. He looks at it, and my friend John Bishop says, that's a girl's bike. So when I tell you that this bicycle is very similar, it's almost identical. Because you see the bar there on that bike. See, at eight years old, I thought that bar meant that you could turn it over on its side and you could get on easier. <laughs> and realize that it indicated that it was a girl's bike. And upon further in, you know, investigation... Remember I told you it was a used bike. That's back when Walmart in South Haleville sold used bicycles. It was this bright red bicycle, but I noticed that there was a little sign on there. The little huffy was gone. It was just red because it had been spray painted red. And a little scratch showed another indication that an eight-year-old boy never wanted to see. It was the color pink. It was a pink girl's bike that I had had on layaway, that I had saved my money, that I had only thought about constantly. And my hope that was on layaway was not what I expected. I had ridden those 10 girl bike gears all over town. I was embarrassed. My friends were laughing. 
And I was just absolutely heartbroken at that time. I remember I took it back very shortly after that. I got a five-speed that I could afford, and it was a boy's bike with a straight bar. I could only fit a five-speed. That's the only way I could get on it. But anyway, so crisis averted. But I submit to you that the hope that is on layaway for us is nothing compared to that bike on layaway. And we ask the question, what is heaven going to be like? And I submit that it is a hope beyond expectation. Hope beyond expectation. Beyond what we can even comprehend. We're told, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. We want God to direct our paths in life, whether we're walking, riding a bike, driving, wherever we're going. In this journey of life, God will direct our paths. But we've got to trust in Him and don't lean on our own understanding. But when it comes to our understanding of heaven, you know, it's, it's, it, was, it was funny, my... Uh, my wife sent me a video. See, Gabriel was not well on Wednesday, Thursday, and he was getting a little better on Friday, and so we just didn't want to chance it. So they send their love, and that's why they're not. Uh, sickness has kept us away, them away. But they sent me a video, and they were just discussing heaven. And she sent me this video about the boys saying what's heaven's going to be like. And, and it was really sweet to hear their musings of what it could be. But their musings... Their ideas that they were coming up with, they were funny. But that was leaning on our own understanding. When we're talking about our eternal home, our eternal resting and worshiping place, what is it going to be like? What can we expect? We trust the Lord first and foremost. We need to keep this in mind and hope beyond expectation reveals glory. We know that it's going to be glorious. If you look at this picture, there's this big bright spot behind the word glory there above the clouds. And I just put that there just to give us just that visual. We've ever been in Delta or flying and you've been above the clouds. It really is majestic when you stop and you think about it. How is this happening? We take it for granted all the time, don't we? But the idea of glory, it's... It's the word for doxa, and we get the word doxology, and we sing the song doxology. And by the way, I wanted us to sing on this morning. That was the first song we had. I wanted to keep singing. And, and, and I love the, 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 the concept of our, 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 our wellness of our soul. It is well with my soul this morning. Being here with my brethren and having this reunion, but worshiping God together in spirit and in truth, and realizing that, his grace is deeper. It's deeper than anything I could even comprehend. And, and I'm so thankful my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I was thankful for the songs. I was thankful for the focus of the Lord's Supper. I was even thankful for the announcement that Craig gave. I think there was one thing missing from that announcement. It was Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. That needed to be there. That's next time, Craig. We'll do that. But this idea of being together is glorious, it's bright, it's the, the idea of, of, of doxology, it's the condition of being bright or shining, this splendor, this radiance. And we can access that, that concept of radiance together as brothers and sisters in Christ from every walk of life 
and realizing that that radiance is, the world can't offer this. The world doesn't understand it. But this is a glory, a brightness that will go beyond our understanding. Uh, and, and if you will, turn to Romans chapter 8. I had it there and I closed the Bible. Romans chapter 8, verse 16 beginning. says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So we're going to become radiant with him. He's making, he'll make us radiant. We'll experience this splendor. But notice he says, verse 18, he now compares that splendor with what we're experiencing now anything but splendor for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The creation. What was the cherry on top of God's creation? Remember every day, it says the first day, he said, behold, he saw it was good. It was good, it was good, it was good. After the sixth day, it was very good. Only after he made man in his own image did it become very good. And we're, we've been subjected to futility, not willingly. You see, Adam and Eve made that decision to disobey God. And how many people have said, Eve, when you're going through a suffering, Eve, why? You know, there are some who say, well, I remember in Scotland, uh, there was a young lady, uh, Kimberly, and she was about 12 years old. And we were having a, a, a devotional. She didn't know the concept of devotional Bible class. And, and we stopped the devotional because she says, why did God put the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden? Did he want them to fail? And I said, that's a great question. Great question. I had never heard the question, never thought to ask the question. I said, let's go back to the beginning. And if you go back and you look, there were two trees specifically mentioned other than the other fruit trees within the garden that they were there for their sustenance for their food she says we can eat of all the trees in the garden but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil we cannot eat for in the day we eat of it we will surely die that's we've all experienced being subjected to futility not willingly let's talk about death but the one tree of life they were allowed to eat of it it was only after the fall that we were guarded the way to that tree of life because that tree of life needed to come later. And that hope became deferred and it makes our hearts sick. But a desire fulfilled is that tree of life. And that desire is fulfilled only through Christ so that we're walking with God again, experiencing that radiance. But there are some, and I brought this up to Kimberly and I said, you know, it says that we've got a tree of life here and we've got a tree of knowledge of good and evil. They're allowed to eat of the tree of life, but they're not allowed to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So you've asked a good question. Why was it there? 
I asked her, I said, she's, her mother was a single mother raising her children. I said, your mother loves you. And she said, of course she loves you. I said, she wouldn't want you to get hurt. No, no, she doesn't want me to get hurt. I said, so she wouldn't want you to fall and, and, and bruise your, 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 you know, your knee or anything like that. No, of course not. So what if she locked you in your room and gave you everything you need? You've got oxygen, water, food, game system, anything you want, it's there. She just locks the door to protect you. And she has a little, you know, cut out and she was able to provide you with what you need. Is that love? She said, no. She has prison. She's like, no, that's prison. I loved hearing her say it. <laughs> said, so she wants you to make a choice in your life. And that's exactly what God has done for us. He gives us a choice whether we're going to walk with him or walk away from him. So walking with him is revealing something that is stored up and laid up on layaway in heaven that is beyond our expectation. It's glorious. And if you keep going, he's saying that we're going to be restored. This, this idea of creation that's been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now, that pain of childbirth, that was the punishment to Eve. Is that still going on? Yes, it is. I remember when we were living in Scotland, uh, they didn't, because of social health care, uh, there is no competition within the, the, the system. And, and so we lived in a, next to a very good hospital, but it was not the OBGYM. So we had to travel 45 minutes one way to get there. And we went three times because there, no, there was no room in the inn for Mary, <laughs> different Mary. And, uh, and we had Gabriel. We never thought about that. Uh, but... It was a very challenging, it was a very challenging situation. And because they were working on her armband as they were working on Gabriel's because she, she almost had him in the car. So there was no chance of the epidural. There was no, man, what she went through, I cannot even imagine. We've been subjected to futility because of sin. That wasn't Mary's fault. I didn't sit there and say, it's your fault that this, is, that this pain is coming on you. It's through the decision that was made to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and it has trickled down ever since. But God wanted to continue to walk with us, and he wants that, that to be righted. He wants that to be gone. That's going to be glorious. No more pain. And not only the creation, verse 23 but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. What causes us to wait for our hope that's laid up in heaven? Glory. The, the, the radiance and the brightness, the, the, the splendor that is beyond our comprehension is waiting for us. But if, if you'll turn to 1 Corinthians 15 and, and, and verse, uh, verse 35 beginning. It says, but, but some will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? He says, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. 
But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. We could keep going, but he gives a great picture of what our body is going to be like in heaven. It, it, again, this idea of brightness, you're like, well, really, what is that? You notice what he's saying, that a kernel of corn, a, a, a grain of wheat, or of rye, I'll say that, Kyle, there you go. If that seed, if it's a kernel of corn, you could put it in the, in the, in the microwave, what happens to that kernel of corn? Puffed up. It's, it's really not much nutrients that's there. You're not going to be able to get much sustenance from one kernel of corn. But if that, if that same kernel is put in the ground, it literally will die. It will split open and a plant will come out of it, a stalk. And on that stalk, there might be six, seven, eight ears of corn that meant hundreds and hundreds of kernels that will come from that one kernel. It's a powerful concept. And, and it, it's the idea that one seed represents this one life, our body. He's using, Paul's using this through the Holy Spirit as an example to your body. Our body is just one kernel of corn. What good is that? If we're puffed up with pride, what is it? Love, uh, uh, um, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up concerning meat sacrificed to idols. In 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1, he says, we all have knowledge. But knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If we're puffed up with pride, we're not going to be much nutrients or much good for our fellow man. But if we die to ourselves, we're buried with Christ we rise to walk in newness of life. Think about the ears of corn that will come. Think about the fruit that will be born again. That's glorious. And that's taken on into heaven. So it's our body will multiply, multiply to where the glory is seeing others face to face who, who followed the Lord in the same way. That is that cloud of witnesses that we're talking about. That It's not about your life. It's about all of us getting there as best as we can, trying to reach the lost. That is heaven. It's heaven. So hope beyond expectation, it reveals glory, but it reveals eternal life. If you'll turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and, and verse 12. 1 Timothy 6, 12. Fight the good fight of faith. It's not fight with one another. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I mentioned at the Bible class when... I made a confession that Jesus was Lord. It was June 8th, 1995. And my mother was sitting there, my, my great-grandmother, Ben's great-grandmother, sitting there in, in the, the pew watching there at 11 a.m. I made that good confession. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's not the last time I made that confession. And I will confess to you there are times where I haven't. I'm striving. I'm striving to continue to confess that Jesus is Lord. That's why I'm here this morning. That's why Kyle is pr proclaiming the gospel message and doing a fantastic job. That's why we're striving to be a lighthouse for this world, to understand the truth. 
that they desperately need a life that's not mortal, that's just going to go in the ground and rot. It's either going to be puffed up in this life or it's going to be rotted, is what people think. That's a horrible existence. We understand that we have eternal life or eternal death. I choose life. I choose life. Titus chapter 1 verse 1 says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, says in hope of eternal life. So that's what we're talking about. That's a splendor that's beyond our understanding. A, a, a life that's eternal, that means forever. You know, but I don't understand this idea of eternal. You know, because all I see is things that start and end. You know, at Fried Hardeman, we had a professor that in class, he did this once a year. He was asked, what is the definition of eternity? And he would only do it once a year, and you'll understand why. Because in the middle of his discussion, he would drop the book, pick up a piece of chalk, and he would start from one of his chalkboards, go to the next chalkboard, go down the wall, and he would walk out of the classroom, down the hall, and never came back to class. That's why he only did it once a year, right? But he was establishing the idea of eternity. It's hard for us to get our mind around the idea of eternal life. But I don't have to understand it in its entirety, in its complexity, to understand that I want eternal life, not eternal death. Not etern when I say eternal death, it's not this death and you never feel anything. It's an eternal pain, sting, torment for all eternity. In Titus 3, verse 4, it says, but when... But when, not if, but when, the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You see that concept of immersion that's mentioned there? There's a washing of regeneration. So there's an obedience that is a work. But it's not a work of merit. It's a work, again, of obedience. God said it. I'm going to do it. God said it. That settles it. I've heard this said before. God settles it. I believe it. That, or God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Whether I believe it or not, it's still God said it. And that settles it. We need to be washed clean regeneration and it's the renewal of the holy spirit whom he poured out on us richly through jesus christ our lord so that being justified by his grace we might become heirs according to the what hope of eternal life how do we get hope of eternal life the way the christians of the first century did just like the Ethiopian eunuch, when he is told about Jesus by Philip and he stops the chariot and he says, the carriage, he says, see here is water, what hinders me from being baptized? If you believe with all your heart, you may. And they went down into the water, he and Philip, and he came up out of the water rejoicing because he had died to himself, was buried with Christ in that watery grave of baptism, rose to walk in newness of life. He experienced that regeneration, but he also experienced 
His Savior. Our Savior. I do not really understand the concept of a Savior unless I've been saved. And we mentioned last night that now abide faith, hope, and love. This concept of this weekend of hope, you know, we won't need it in heaven. Because hope is going to be realized when I see my Lord. Uh, faith is going th th that is now without sight is going to become sight. So I'm going to see my Savior. Because I've not seen him, how can I even get my mind around what that's going to be like to see my Savior? What is that going to actually produce for me for all eternity? We have an example of that because we have saviors, don't we? You know, um, you know I, I think about people who um, saved other people. And when, when I was at Fried Hardeman, I joined the fire department. When in Tennessee, do as they do, volunteer. And I lived in the fire station for two years at a program where they allowed uh, us to live there. Man, they were desperate to let me live there. But I enjoyed just that opportunity to be a fireman. And, and, uh, and I remember meeting someone that actually uh, used to attend here, Bill Baldy. You may not remember the Baldy name, but my grandmother, her maiden name is Baldy, right? My dad's mother. And so I'm sitting there, and, and uh, I remember Bill Baldy. This is Bill Baldy Jr. His dad was one. He was bringing songbooks here for this congregation, and he died. His plane went down. And I, I remember getting some of those songbooks from Bill. And it's amazing that it was being brought here when Buford was needing songbooks. And, and we're, I think we're fifth or sixth cousins, is Bill, is we're all related. And so we're sitting there and, and, and I met him. They were calling him Baldy. He's as bald as anything. And I, I thought they were making fun of him. They're like, it's his name. And that's, anyway, but I remember there was an occasion where there was a fire that was called and we went to the, the, the fire call. And this man was sitting there in his wheelchair in his front yard trying to do what he could to help his family. He had no legs. They'd been amputated. And so he's in this wheelchair, but it had been muddy and he had started a fire, burning leaves, had the hose in his hand while he's in the wheelchair. But he was sitting there spinning his wheels, trying to get out, and the fire was blazing. And when we got there, the fire had gone up the back of the, of the wheelchair, and my cousin Bill Baldy ran and grabbed that man out of that chair, and he became a savior. I watched it happen. It's glorious. And was so appreciative and so thankful for Bill, for what he had done. One day we're going to meet our Savior. And I, I wanted to mention a man by the name of Sir Nicholas Winton. Have you heard that name before? Sir Nicholas Winton. Before he was Sir, he was, uh, in, in 1939, uh, his parents had moved to the United States in the 20s, in 1920s. And uh, they were immigrants from Czechoslovakia. And in 1939, if you remember your history, the Germans were in occupation of Czechoslovakia, of Prague. And he heard of things that were happening, and he heard of disappearances, and he had this idea that for the job that he had in England, sorry, it wasn't, I meant to say England, not America. The job he had in England allowed him to get visas and, and even get sponsors. So he goes over to Czechoslovakia, to Prague, 
on the eve of World War II being announced. And he was able to smuggle 669 children out of Prague. And they got them to homes in, uh, in England. It was never known. He never told a soul. It was only put in a logbook. And his daughter found the logbook in the attic in the 80s. This man lived to be, I think, 106. But in the 80s, it was like, I think, 1988, his daughter was able to contact a TV show, and they were able to work it out where they got the names they found individuals. Just to give you an example, Sir Nicholas Winton is sitting there in the front row, and they said, there's someone here that we owe a great amount of, uh, of gratitude to as a nation his name is Nicholas Winton, and, and the light comes on this, this old man, and he's just sitting there going, what? He's shocked. He doesn't understand. And there's just a packed audience, and he said, there are some people here who want to thank you. And the person to his right and left and everyone behind him stands. These are all of the children that you saved. And they've come here to thank you. People made the effort to travel from wherever they were because they wanted to see their Savior face to face. They had a picture of the, of the older woman sitting next to him. She was a little girl with Sir Nicholas Winton. But the majority of those children had no idea who had saved them, had no idea of that blessing that had been bestowed upon them. It's powerful. For by... For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Titus 2, 11. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He has offered salvation, not for 669, but for all people. How many parents knew of what was happening how, how could they give their child over to a complete stranger, 669 of them, because they wanted to save their children from certain death? They were willing to trust one Savior to get their children out of those chambers. How much more will we trust our Savior? These children who loved someone they'd never met before. <laughs> and that great, give us a great picture of our Savior. But one day we'll see him face to face. But how many parents said, no, I'm not going to allow this to take place. I don't know this man. And they gave up on that opportunity for that salvation. How much more important is it than not just our physical life, but our eternal one for, as parents and grandparents for our children, for our neighbors? We believe it. We're going to be striving to reach them with all we can because it's coming. Hebrews 12 and verse 22 says, But you've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. I love this. Those who are born again are enrolled in heaven. 
all that they had of Sir Nicholas's deed was that roll book of, of the people's names. Is your child's name on that heavenly roll? Is your name on that heavenly roll? But you know, some people have a hope that is beyond, or have an expectation beyond hope. Flipped. What if we took Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, we're told to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our understanding. What if we lean on our own understanding as we trust in God? Can you do that? No, you can't. But how many people say, I know that I'm going to heaven because I was told this by someone I trust? What if that person was told by someone they were trusting? What if that person was told by someone that they shouldn't have trusted? What if that was someone who, who, who relayed a message that wasn't true? They think they're fine. They think they're okay. Matthew chapter 7 is one of the most challenging passages within the most precious and wonderful sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 20, Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Them being, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. False teachers, you'll recognize them. So we have to get verse 20 to understand who he's talking about. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? These are those who are recognized by their fruits. These are those who were false prophets. Just, just proclaiming, Lord, Lord. Just saying, Lord. Not everyone who says that will get into heaven. That's not hope. That's not the certain expectation of hope. The definition of hope is looking forward to something with some reason for confidence, respecting fulfillment. A expectation how many people are going to get there and it is not what they thought that is so much more than a bicycle? So much more. There's eternal consequences. And these false teachers are saying, didn't we prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The danger is these false teachers, Jesus is warning those who are there on that day, don't listen to these individuals. He's addressing the false teachers, but how many people are going to be there because those false teachers taught error? That's why you question what I say. That's why you question and make sure that what you're following is according to the word of God, not according to parts of the word of God. Keep that in mind. You know, on the way here, I could have been pulled over, and I don't want to even talk about that on the way home. But what if the police officer says, why were you speeding? And I said, because the sign said speed. Every sign I've ever seen says speed. It says speed limit. Well, I chose to read speed. Is that going to get me out of the ticket? No, it might get me something else. I don't know. If it doesn't work for the law of the land, how does it work for the law of God? And the thing is, when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, and I know our time is, is, is going quickly, Jesus responded, it is written. 
So he would recommend that we go to the Bible. Man shall not live by bread alone, but what proceeds from the mouth of God. But then Satan takes him up onto the pinnacle of the temple. He says, throw yourself down, for it is written. So if Jesus says, let's go to the Bible, and Satan says, let's go to the Bible, there's a way in which we need to do it. And he quotes to him Psalm 91, 11 and 12. I want to encourage you, write this down. Go look at Psalm 91 and verse 13, and you'll know why he left it out. Because it was against him. And if he's going to just use two verses, there's a temptation, isn't there? He's tempting Jesus. It's tempting for us to just read one verse. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, I'm saved, and I can take that, that, that money pouch of my spirituality, and I can zip it up that we talked about in class, and I got my salvation in the bag. I don't need the whole Bible. I just need one verse. Well, that's what Satan did. We've got to be so careful. Our hope is beyond expectation when we take God at His word, at all of His word. Ephesians 3 and verse 20 and 21, and then the, the lesson is, is yours. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That means throughout this generation as well. After our potluck meal of the, the physical nourishment, we're going to have one more spiritual nourishment. We're going to talk about the church. But this morning, my question for you is, is your hope beyond expectation or is your expectation beyond hope? Is it according to what the, the word of God says or what someone has told you? When you, have, when you have been faced with scripture and you say, but I heard, I feel, I believe. Those don't matter because that's what's said on the day of judgment. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your, I thought. It's not about what you think, it's about what he said. Have you obeyed his word this morning? We have an invitation that's here. And if, if something's been mentioned that has just caused you to say, I want to know more, please reach out to us. We will go without the food, even the Korean section, to have the Bible study. That's more important than anything. If we can encourage you, please respond now.